Welcome to Inside the Castle, the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. I'm one of your hosts today, Aaron Snyder. And I'm Angie Fryermuth. Today we're talking with Ava Velez about the Everglades program that the Corps has been working on for some time down in Florida. Thanks for joining us here today. Thank you for having me. So before we jump into the Everglades and talk about this important program, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your role with the Corps? Thank you. My role is to serve as the chief of the ecosystem branch within the programs and project management division of the Jacksonville district within the Corps. And in that role, what that means is that I'm the lead integrator of all the technical offices. I'm also the bridge between the internal core team and the external project delivery teams, as well as the lead liaison to our non-federal sponsor, who is a mighty partner in the South Florida Water Management District. So we are glad to have you on uh, the show today. And as Aaron mentioned, we're talking about the Everglades program. And so for our listeners that don't know about the Everglades program, can you tell us a little bit about the program? Yes, uh, I'm happy to do it. It's it's actually my favorite topic. And uh, I'll do my best to share all the history that I can Many people come before me, and I am honored to be the custodian of such an important effort for the Army Corps of Engineers. Beginning with the Water Resources Development Act of 2000, the Comprehensive Everglades Restoration Plan was authorized by the Congress as a framework for modifications and operational changes to a much older federal system called the Central and Southern Florida Project. And the purpose of the Comprehensive Everglades Restoration Plan, or as we call it, SERP, was to restore, preserve, and protect the South Florida ecosystem while also providing for other water-related needs of the region, including water supply and flood protection. And that's what makes us so special and different because we begin with a high-performing, multi-purpose federal project called the Central and Southern Florida Project authorized by the Congress in the late 1940s and built by the Corps between the 1950s to the 1970s. And it was built to provide the people of Florida protection like flood protection, water supply, navigation, recreation, and preservation of fish and wildlife. And as we constructed it, we saw that the ecosystem, and those are called the Kissimmee-Okeechobee-Everglades ecosystem. It is an interconnected mosaic of habitats. Those were losing their resilience because the way that water used to move in those ecosystems changed as a result of the Central and Southern Florida project. So the SERP, the Comprehensive Everglades Restoration Plan, is a modification to the original federal project with the environment 
in mind, with all of the different environments in mind, because some are freshwater, some are saltwater, some are mixes, some are uplands, some are wetlands, some are sloughs, some are rivers, some are lakes, all of those together, while still providing water supply and flood protection. So it's multi-purpose in, in its origin and multi-purpose today. Thanks. That's really interesting about the program and, and really how it's, you know, you're talking about mobile historical projects, um, you know, built on top of each other. And now you're working to modify that. It's interesting. I was, you know, when I was listening to you, you were talking about this starting in WERDA of 2000. Uh, you know, so we're, you know, 23 years past that. Kind of curious. So you had a feasibility report that was authorized in 2000, 23 years later. How have you had to adapt the program over that time frame to meet the current needs? Because clearly things will have changed since, you know, the 2000s. Yes, in short, yes. What's interesting is there's so much history with this program. The comprehensive Everglades restoration plan was given to us by the Congress in 2000 by Water Resources Development Act of 2000. The history of what we call the South Florida Ecosystem Restoration Program, which is think of it as the, the parent, right? Think of the Central and Southern Florida project as the parent. And then you have the initial set of changes called the South Florida Ecosystem Restoration Program, which is a big umbrella of changes to that parent project, which came in the 90s. And they created something called the South Florida Ecosystem Restoration Task Force, which is members of Department of Interior, Department of the Army, NOAA, the local counties of Florida, the state of Florida, the agencies of Florida, many, many different members, and very importantly, the Seminole Tribe of Florida and the Miccosukee Tribe of Indians of Florida, which are our native people to the landscape of Florida. Very important for us to think about that because it goes to your question. So we have all this history we have our native people of Florida, the Seminole Tribe of Florida and the Miccosukee Tribe, who are teaching us about what the landscape looks like. We come in and we build a project that provides all these purposes for the people of Florida. Then you have significant land use changes, population growth, the Santa system does its job, but the environment is suffering too. It's out of balance. Our estuaries, salinities are out of balance. Our lakes get either too high or too low. They don't stay within their normal regime in consonance with the seasons. And so here comes Everglades restoration, which has multiple parts to it. The one most people talk about is that SERP, the one from 2000, but we did begin in the 90s. And so to your question, the people that made that original documentation and the Congress were really smart. And they said, this is the framework. This is such a large undertaking that we all came together, meaning the tribes, the state of Florida, the federal government, all the different agencies, the local counties, they came together and identified a framework of changes. And in addition to that, written into our guidebook, we call it the yellow book because the cover had a yellow cover, 
but it's the original report that was submitted to Congress. So whenever you hear Everglades people, we have our own language. So when we say it's in the yellow book, we just mean it's the guiding book that was handed to Congress to ask for permission to build it, had a yellow cover. So the yellow book itself says we will implement this great framework of components while adaptively managing for new science and new understanding. So adaptive management is part of our DNA in the Everglades. We planned for it from the beginning and we do it today. The framework that we got in our yellow book says we will implement 68 components. Those could be things as large as a 200,000 acre foot above ground reservoir, which covers the size of a city uh, in different places, or it could be building or removing portions, removing levees. But how do you know how to connect it to the ecosystem? So the yellow book said, we're going to have science as part of our decision making. And what that meant was we created a team called Recover. That's the science arm of Everglades Restoration. And that team is extraordinary. That's an acronym. Recover is an acronym. And what it stands for is 13 organizations, including the Seminole Tribe of Florida, the Miccosukee Tribe of Indians of Florida, federal and state agencies, these are all scientists, not program managers, not policymakers, these are scientists who came together and said, the Kissimmee River should have these flows at this time of year. Lake Okeechobee should have water levels that are in consonance with the seasons that change over the year. The Caloosahatchee River and Estuary salinity is a gradient, and they gave us targets. I'm just giving you a few examples. The St. Lucie River and Estuary has a gradient of salinities, oyster beds, sea grasses. The Central Everglades has a variety of ecosystems within it. That one's really beautiful and special. That's the one that's that majestic ridge and slough system that you see in all our photographs that encompasses Everglades National Park sawgrass. And then Florida Bay, our beautiful bay, which is the largest seagrass habitat in this whole area, this whole continent. And they looked at every single one of those and gave us scientifically based targets. And then we size all of our components based on that. And not only did we do it then, we continue to do it Every single time we pull off one of those 68 components to take it to construction, one of the ways we adaptively manage and use science is that that framework given to us in 2000 says, when you're ready to go build this, come back to us and tell us what you're going to build, because we know this is a conceptual framework. So now 23 years later, we have a reservoir to the east of Lake Okeechobee that's 50,000 acre feet called the C44 Reservoir built. 
and operational testing, helping the St. Lucie River estu and estuary be healthier. The way we sized that was all based on that science. Our partner, the South Florida Water Management District, they are just as good and they design and build things right next to us, which is really unique in the nation to have a partner that does that. So sometimes they design and build the reservoirs and sometimes we do. So to the west of Lake Okeechobee, they're building a 170,000 acre foot reservoir, above ground storage reservoir right now, will be done in 2025. The really big one that we just celebrated south of Lake Okeechobee, we're so proud of is the EAA reservoir. The Corps is building that one. And that one is 240,000 acre feet of above ground storage. And it reconnects Lake Okeechobee to the Everglades. That essential connection that we had before the system, the CNSS system was built, it became disrupted. And this reservoir, 23 years later, is finally starting construction by the Corps. So we're building a lot, but we're using science every time to check our numbers, to make sure the targets are understood. And then the new horizon that wasn't as well understood at the time, but we understand it very well now, is climate change and sea level rise. And we're doing a lot of work to understand that. And what's amazing about it is that Everglades restoration turns out to be the most urgent resilience project that we need to build in South Florida. Because the Everglades are the source of our drinking water for the people of Florida. And they also have all of those natural mangrove habitats along the Southern Peninsula, which protect us from storms. So it's a win-win. So I always find it interesting um, and I always learn something new when I talk to somebody about the Everglades. So thank you for that. It sounds like you guys work with uh, partners, a lot of partners. And I know that keeping partners engaged and proactively involved uh, takes a lot of work. And I am sure you guys have great lessons that you can share with the rest of the course. So can you talk a little bit about the partnerships and how the partners are involved in the projects? Yes, I'd, I'd be happy to. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about that. We have many partners in the Everglades program. And it's important to describe, describe each of them, I think. Our non-federal sponsor is called the South Florida Water Management District, and they are an agency within the state of Florida. They encompass 16-county region that begins in that Kissimmee River area that we were talking about, and it goes all the way down to the Florida Keys. They are equal to us at the core in their technical expertise and in their funding ability. We have a 50-50 partnership with the South Florida Water Management District, and it's a programmatic partnership. What that means is that when we finish implementing the comprehensive Everglades restoration plan, we both should have spent 50% of the funds necessary to implement it. And the way that we do that is by each of us building one component at a time. So 
not that we each have to fund one feature, which is how many other projects are done. The sponsor sometimes helps to fund it, and the core designs and builds it. That's not how this one works. Let's say there's a spillway or a pump station that's a part of a plan, or a removal of a levee, or a construction of a reservoir. That whole piece is done by one or the other, the design and construction. And then at the end of the day, you add up a ledger. And that's how that partnership works. It's a programmatic partnership. So we have many broad agreements that cover the partnership, and then we do individual agreements for each of the specifically authorized features. So we have a really special partner when you're thinking of a non-federal sponsor. However, our partners are much larger than that. So the South Florida Ecosystem Restoration Task Force and each of the members of that task force are also our partners. And they are our partners in science and collaboration and communication and conflict resolution and, and in general input and understanding of the importance of the Everglades. And that means whenever we have a project, expect 50 organizations to join our project delivery team. That is the norm for us. That means that the Department of Interior, who is responsible for Everglades National Park, Big Cypress National Preserve, Biscayne National Park, the Loxahatchee National Wildlife Refuge. We have many refuges. We have national parks. We have preserves within our ecosystem, within, within the Everglades ecosystem. So the Department of Interior is really important. Our native people in the Miccosukee Tribe of Indians of Florida and the Seminole Tribe of Florida are our partners. They are here with us every step of the way in Everglades restoration. They participate, collaborate, and consult with us from planning through design, construction, and operations. We have local counties that have special forums fully dedicated to talking about Everglades restoration. The 16 counties and all their elected officials participate with us in the implementation of the plan. And of course, the state of Florida the governor is prioritizing Everglades restoration, the Florida legislature, there are many. And we are very much accustomed to building consensus, to resolving conflict at the technical level and then at the policy level. And we have many different forums that are created for that purpose. So we plan for it, we anticipate it, we communicate, and we have the dedicated forum so those conversations can happen. That's really great. I like how you're implementing the project and working in partnership uh, with your, your sponsors and really the whole group. And, and I think we've heard a lot about the history of the project now, how you're implementing it, the partnerships. I want to just pivot over before we have to go here to talk a little bit about the benefits that the project provides, in particular to local communities and perhaps um, some of the disadvantaged communities that might be out there. Let's start with the big picture. The implementation of the comprehensive plan, and I'm, I'm gonna share with you what's actually in our chief's report. 
because that helps understand what our benefits are. Improve the health of over 2.4 million acres of South Florida ecosystem, including Everglades National Park. Improve the health of Lake Okeechobee. Virtually eliminate damaging freshwater releases to the estuaries. Improve water deliveries to Florida and Biscayne Bays. Improve water quality and enhance water supply and maintain flood protection. Communities relate to our ecosystems in different ways. So we must urgently listen to each of the communities included in the ecosystem. And they are not all one. They are individual and unique and have their own perspectives. And it is our job at the Corps of Engineers to bring them together, to provide a place to listen, to allow the voices to be heard, and to find places of common ground. Specifically, some examples are the communities in the heartland. They would call themselves the communities of the glade that are around Lake Okeechobee are historically farming communities that care a lot about water supply. So when we implement the Everglades Restoration Plan, we must make sure that as we re-deliver water to the natural system, we don't do anything to take away water from the communities that depend on an economy of farming. At the same time, the communities that live along the coast have people like fishing captains who need those estuaries to be clear because their economy is dependent on clear water and tourism and hotels because when you have a family from Ohio that comes and stays at a hotel and they book a captain and they go and have their vacation, the people, the workers that depend on that economy need those estuaries to be fresh and clear. The ranchers north of Lake Okeechobee that are multi-generational, they think about clean water and access to water supply. We must listen to that. The Miccosukee tribe of Indians of Florida, their home is the Everglades. They need the water to be clean. That's their home. And so we must do everything we can so that the water quality is what it should be. The Seminole Tribe of Florida is very connected to the land. They have a history of ranching, but also they have a history of wanting the water to be clean and move through the system in a natural way. And within their own reservation, for example, in Big Cypress Reservation, the CNSF system that the Corps built disrupted some of that flow of their natural ecosystem, of their reservation. So we must listen to their knowledge of what those systems looked like before the Corps came, because they remember, we can talk to tribal elders, and we do, to learn from them about what those ecosystems look like. We have something really special in the Everglades called a tree island. 
Well, it's where the Seminole and Miccosukee tribe hid. We have a history in the Department of the Army. That's not a good one with those two tribes. That's where those tribes hid was in the Everglades to survive. So when we come as part of the Corps to restore the Everglades, we have to listen to them tell us about how they lived on those tree islands, how their ancestors might be buried there, and how they grew up there so that we can better understand how the water level should be, what the right species should be. There's many, many examples of that. Thank you for that. And thank you for letting us know more about the Everglades program. And uh, really just joining us today for this edition of Inside the Castle. We appreciate you and your insights. And to our listeners, we want to hear from you, what topics are important to you and people you are interested in hearing from. Until next time, be safe, be innovative, and be revolutionary. Thanks for joining us for this Inside the Castle podcast. To provide your feedback, email us at cw.infrastructure.team at usace.army.mil. Stay tuned for additional Inside the Castle podcasts as we explore life inside the core and revolutionize civil works together.